to open your mind and your heart. Welcome to the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival with your host, Lauren N. Nile. We can mature beyond today's prejudice and xenophobia. We can save our beautiful planet. The keys are self-awareness, awareness of others, and most important, love. Now, here's Lauren. Hello, folks, and welcome back to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. I'm your host, Lauren N. Nile. For detailed information about me and about my work uh, as an organizational development trainer and keynote speaker, you can just go to my website, and uh, it's an easy URL. It's simply my name, laurennile.com. So, um, as it turns out, this is my second-to-last show on Voice America, my friends. Uh, back in September, I contracted with the network for 13 shows, and this is the 12th show of the 13. Now, I began my series with an introductory show in which I told you that uh, my radio show would be focused on three main ideas or three main concepts, which I refer to as the Grand Trilogy. In full, I actually refer to them as the Grand Trilogy to Save and Mature Humanity. And those three concepts are the three concepts of the Grand Trilogy, are that as human beings, as a species, we are one, we are brilliant, and we are divine. We are one, we are brilliant, and we are divine. That trilogy is, in fact, the focus of my book uh, entitled Race, My Story and Humanity's Bottom Line. Now, in that introductory show, I, I told you that In the We Are One segment, uh, we'd have conversations about the fact that as human beings, we truly are one giant family, which is one of the truths that we've just got to know and and that we've just got to understand if we're going to survive. Uh, I said that we discuss how we are all much more alike than we are different. I told you that that we'd explore differences such as race and sex and religion and gender identity, gender expression and sexual orientation, national origin and disability and class and so many other human differences uh, that we foolishly use to divide and often even kill ourselves. I told you that we'd begin that inquiry with race and that we'd then discuss just as carefully in the same amount of detail many other isms sexism, anti-Semitism, classism, heterosexism, and other forms of human prejudice. I summarized by saying that our We Are One segment is devoted to the theme that across the planet, we, all seven plus billion of us, must begin to see each other as equals, and that we must begin to love each other as the sisters and brothers around the world that we truly are. Regarding the We Are Brilliant segment, I said in my first, my introductory show, that in it, we'll focus on the fact that as human beings, we are incredibly smart. We're brilliant, really, when you consider, uh, for example, that we've accomplished technologically over just the past 200 years um, things that we probably thought at the beginning of those two centuries were miracles. When you think about where our technology was in 1817 and where it is today in 2017, 
just a short 200 years later, our brilliance as a species is obvious. We can't doubt it. But truthfully, my actual focus in the We Are Brilliant segment is that we human beings are brilliant, but we are also incredibly foolish and incredibly unwise. I'll say much more about that later in the show. Concerning the We Are Divine segment, I said in my introductory show that we discuss the belief held by many people, and including myself, that as human beings, we have the potential for what I'm referring to as divinity. Some may call it holiness. I said that in the We Are Divine segment, we'd have conversations about the fact that our survival depends on our getting in touch with our potential to be divine. I said that we'd also discuss issues of faith and spirituality and religion, as well as what I refer to as the ultimate mysteries or the big questions. I told you that some of our specific topics in the We Are Divine segment are, number one, are we really made in the image and likeness of a divine creator? And what does that really mean? Two, the human experiences of curiosity about and awe about and wonderment at the miraculous universe in which we live. Three, the possibility of the existence of intelligent life on other planets. And four, matters of faith, spirituality, and religion, including the history of human spirituality and the many uh, world's religions. And uh, I said that we talk about the differences, but also about the many interesting similarities among our religions. Friends, essentially, I told you that with my show, in the We Are One, We Are Brilliant, and We Are Divine segments, I was going to use the show to create a forum for us to discuss what humanity can do to mature. Now, over the course of my last 11 weeks with you, I've only begun down that path. We began with the We Are One concept, and within its context, I did shows with the following titles. The human species, we are all related, and our DNA proves it. Our unconscious bias, the source and the cure. Unearned privilege, what it is and what we can do about it. Microaggressions, a real education on the experience of others. Common responses and dialogues about racial microaggressions, done in two parts. Racism and other prejudice, are our brains wired for them? Sexism and sexual harassment, a frank discussion. The reasons for heritage history months and affirmative action. And then finally, racism in American politics, another thing we must mature beyond. Now, the purpose of all of those shows was twofold. First, it was to help us understand ourselves and how we look at issues of human differences based upon race and sex, religion, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, class, national origin, and, and other characteristics. It was to help us to be able to identify our blind spots and assess our areas of needed improvement in how we see others. My hope was that in that process, the issues we discussed on those shows would open minds. Second, the shows were intended to help us either for the first time attempt to or perhaps to help us gain a deeper understanding of the experiences of others, the experience of being objectified and treated unfairly because of a characteristic of birth, 
I tried to the best of my ability to have us walk for at least a little while in each other's moccasins. My hope in this context was that in that process, the shows would soften hearts. Over the course of the past 11 weeks, my friends, my focus was primarily on race because as I explained, of all of the human categories of difference, it's my experience as a professional diversity trainer of of 28 years, it's my experience that the issues of race and racism are by far the most uncomfortable for us to face and to discuss. But I did tell you that we would eventually discuss all of the other categories of difference in as much detail and with as much thought and attention as we discussed the issue of race, because they are all equally as important as the subject of race. Well, (laughs) as fate would have it, we unfortunately didn't complete our consideration of race and racism. I wanted to do a show on the issue of reparations for Americans of color and on the historical achievements of Americans of color, among a few others that I just didn't get a chance to do. We also didn't get to our considerations of and discussions of other isms, sexism, anti-Semitism, ableism, heterosexism, and, and, and other forms of xenophobia. And of course, we didn't get to the Grand Trilogy's two other concepts, i.e. that we are brilliant and we are divine. So I, I, I apologize to you, my, my friends, for not being able to share with you more completely what I wanted and what I promised to share with you about the aspects of the trilogy, which we just didn't get to in this 13-part series. But while I won't be able to continue to broadcast on this wonderful Voice America platform, I will be continuing my show. I'll be continuing it as a podcast on my YouTube channel. So uh, if you'd like to continue hearing my show, just go to YouTube and search for my channel by my name, Lauren N. Nile, and you'll be able to continue listening to the fate of humanity, crucial conversations for our survival um, in in, in that way. I do hope, however, to return to Voice America when I've raised enough funds to finance another 13 shows. I do have a GoFundMe page for that purpose, so if you'd like to help me return to Voice America as quickly as possible, please visit my GoFundMe page at GoFundMe.com and then search for my page by my name, Lauren N. Nile, and contribute whatever you can. I, I thank you in advance for your help. And I look forward to returning to Voice of America after I've raised the requisite funds to finance another 13 shows. But I do have two more shows to do here on Voice America, so I'm going to use these final two shows, this show and next week's, to say a bit about the trilogy's second and third concepts, We Are Brilliant and We Are Divine, focusing today on We Are Brilliant and next week on We Are Divine. So today... We focus on we are brilliant. We are brilliant. As I said earlier, my real focus in this segment (laughs) is on the reality that we are brilliant, but we are also terribly unwise. We are brilliant, but we're also senseless. We're brilliant, but we're also thoughtless. We're brilliant, but we're also irresponsible. We're reckless. We're inane. We're asinine. We're dim-witted. We are are immature. My friends, as human beings, we are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. 
but we are also astoundingly foolish. Now, how can we be both at once, you may ask? Well, that's a good question. It's a reasonable question. It's a wholly logical question. After all, does it follow, does it not follow that brilliance would be accompanied by thoughtfulness, by maturity, by wisdom? You know, don't, you know, brilliance and and all of those other characteristics go hand in hand? Indeed, doesn't brilliance, in fact, give rise to all of those other characteristics? Yes, those are quite rational and, 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 and quite reasonable questions indeed. So, let's consider them. First, the tenet that we are brilliant, and then we'll look at the we are unwise. What I mean by we are brilliant is that, based upon our history, we human beings apparently have the ability to learn and master almost anything that we put our minds to. Literally almost anything. I mean, you know, let's just think about this for a minute. And let's look at the progress that we've made in just three fields. Just three among many fields that we could explore. Medicine, engineering technology, and astronomy. Now, I I was born in 1953. In the 64 years that have passed since then, in the field of medicine... We've very nearly wiped out polio, measles, chickenpox, mumps, and rubella in children in at least the developed world. And, of course, we have to do a much better job of getting those vaccines uh, against those diseases to the developing world. We've learned how to control human conception, giving us choice in the matter of whether or not to give birth, which is huge for our species. We developed vaccines for meningitis, for hepatitis A and hepatitis B. We've learned to transplant human organs, kidneys, lungs, hearts, and even the human face. We've invented artificial organs, including kidneys and hearts. And it's only a matter of time until they're commonly and successfully used. We've even learned how to harness stem cells and use them to grow parts of the human body. We help many, many thousands of cancer patients determine the regions, I'm sorry, uh, survive and, and survive the disease of cancer and then live their expected lifespan, their entire expected lifespan. We can now determine the regions of the world from which all of the DNA in our bodies comes from, truly allowing us all to see that there are no pure races and that we are all one. Now, one of the two most incredible of all of our medical achievements is is that we've sequenced the entire human genome, which in the future will give us the power to perform what may now seem to us to be actual miracles. And, you know, while perhaps not nearly as difficult as sequencing the human genome is what is, at least in my mind, our most amazing medical achievement. We've learned how to bring ourselves back from physical death within a short time following the cessation of the heartbeat. In just the 64 years of my life, humankind has absolutely revolutionized our lives with our incredibly amazing advances in medical science. Now, within the fields of engineering and technology, as I said earlier on the show, 
to be amazed by our achievements. Just think about what human technology in 1817 was. And think about the things that have been invented or, or have become common household items in the 200 years up to 2017 that have followed. The telegraph, the telephone, electricity, wide-scale water distribution, the radio, the automobile, and highways on which to drive them, the television, underground plumbing, home conveniences such as air conditioning, the refrigerator, the gas cooking stove, the oven, washing machines, dryers. We've mechanized agriculture and, for better or worse, developed nuclear technologies. And, of course, humanity also grew its wings and developed flight during that time in the early 20th century. I mean, we actually defied gravity, in, in, in a sense, and took to the skies. Now we have controlled landings from space. We no longer have to plop down on a parachute in the ocean from space. We actually have controlled landings from space. We come back from space in what is essentially an airplane on a runway. <laughs> we have the International Space Station. And now several decades later, um, in, the, in the late 20th century, then we, we developed personal computers and artificial intelligence. And with them, an entire universe of extremely sophisticated, indeed previously unimaginable technological advancement is now available to us, including two which we have already accomplished. The invention of the Internet, i.e. making information in countless subject matter areas available to everyone around the world who has either a computer or a cell phone, and secondly, the invention of the cell phone, which allows us around the world, but, you know, of course, with exceptions, to speak to any person, anytime, anywhere on the planet. Our cell phones today, my friends, have surpassed the communicators of the Star Trek series, the original Star Trek series, which took place in the 23rd century. In the 1960s, when I was a kid, Gene Roddenberry and the other developers of Star Trek couldn't even have imagined the cell phones that we have today, and they were trying to imagine the 23rd century. And finally, looking at the science of astronomy, when I was born, we knew concerning planetary systems only that there were nine planets in our own solar system. In other words, that nine planets revolved around our sun. Now, you know, Pluto has recently been demoted to a non-planet, so most astronomers now believe that there are really eight planets that revolve around our sun. And actually, a giant ninth planet far beyond Pluto has been theorized. But, you know, actually, we, we knew only that the known universe was comprised of many, 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 I'm sorry, many, many trillions of stars, i.e. of suns, and that you know, our sun had a few planets revolving around it. That's it. That's what we knew. We didn't know whether or not any of those other stars out there, the trillions of other stars in the universe, had planetary systems or not. But now we know that. Indeed, and I'm reading straight from Wikipedia now, NASA's Kepler mission recently announced the discovery of 715 new planets. 715 new planets. So we now know that all those, that many of those other stars out there do indeed have planets around them. We know that beyond the shadow of any doubt. 
the Kepler mission has just announced a discovery of 17, 715 new planets. These newly verified worlds orbit 305 stars, revealing multiple planet systems, much like our own solar system. In fact, three years ago, Tepler also found the first Earth-sized planet in what's known as its star's habitable zone, or the Goldilocks region, as scientists sometimes refer to it. In other words, the region within that solar system, which we believe planets would be able to potentially um, uh, give rise to life, at least life as we know it to be. In other words, you know, a planet can't be neither too close to nor too far away from its sun in order for life as we know it to, to exist. Uh, if it's too close to the sun, it would be too hot. Uh, as are our Mercury and Venus planets in our own solar system. If they're too cold from the sun, as uh, I'm sorry, if they're too uh, far away from the sun, they would, of course, be too cold for life as we know it, uh, perhaps. Um, and that is or may be the case with our outer planets, Saturn, Neptune, and, and Uranus. But that Goldilocks region is where life as we know life to be could indeed exist. And uh, so far, um, other planets in their sun's habitable zones have been found. Again, reading from Wikipedia, Kepler has also found the first Earth-sized planet in its star's habitable zone. Since then, uh, reading again directly from Wikipedia, astronomers reported, based on Kepler uh, space mission data, that there could be as many as 40 billion Earth-sized planets orbiting in the habitable zones in the habitable zones of sun-like stars, in other words, stars like our own sun, and also red dwarf stars in the Milky Way. Now, that's just in our galaxy. There could be as many as 40 billion Earth-sized planets orbiting in the habitable zones of their stars, 11 billion of which may be orbiting stars like our own sun. And that's just in the Milky Way galaxy. And there are, of course, trillions and trillions of galaxies. We've learned a lot over just the past 20 years. But, you know, just looking at our own galaxy, we thought until just a few years ago that all of the other bodies in our own solar system, our own little tiny solar system, our moon and the other planets and, and, and their moons, until recently we thought that they were all dead, like our own moon. No atmosphere, you know. Uh, full of craters, um, no water, no potential for life. We thought that all of the other bodies in our own solar system were just dead rocks like our moon. But we now know that nothing could be farther from the truth. We know that the other planets in our solar system and many of their moons are active and alive with active volcanoes and water and indeed oceans and ice and windstorms and precipitation and atmospheres. Can you imagine that? You know, some of the moons of Saturn, the, of course, Titan is the most famous of its moons. I mean, active volcanoes. You know, many, we believe that I think Neptune, perhaps one of the outer planets, is all water. Now, it's been theorized that even though those planets are so far away from the sun that they are incredibly cold, it may be that Life may develop from thermonuclear dynamics on those planets, as they do at the bottom of, of our own oceans. Now we know beyond any doubt that our solar system is alive. So we can extra extrapolate 
that the planets of many other suns are alive as well, alive with volcanoes and water and oceans and atmospheres and precipitation. In just over a year, it will be 50 years since we successfully took human beings to the moon and safely returned them to Earth. We did that on July 20th, 1969, 50 years ago. And my friends, I remembered as if it were yesterday. I was a little 15-year-old geek, science geek. I was glued to my television set, watching every moment of it. And even though I was at that time in a very, very heavy depression because I had just lost my mom three weeks ago, still, even with that, I didn't miss a minute of that moon landing. Since then, we've explored through flyblies dozens of bodies in our solar system. And we've actually, of course, landed spacecraft on both Mars and Venus. We are a brilliant species indeed, my friends. Based on our brains (laughs) and based on what we've done in medical technology and engineering in just space technology and space exploration, our potential as human beings is almost limitless, almost limitless. But, as I also said, with regard to the We Are Brilliant segment, we'll be talking about the fact that we are brilliant, but we're also foolish we're senseless, we're, 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 we're thoughtless, we're irresponsible, we're reckless, we're so immature. Now, what are the pieces of evidence that I'm going to talk about to tell us all of this, to describe it all, to discuss it? I mean, at the same time that we have transplanted human hearts at the same time that we've transplanted a human face, at the same time that we've cured many diseases, at the same time that we have done incredible things in technology, built skyscrapers, you know, uh, harnessed the atom, at the same time that we uh, have (laughs) sent, this was in 1970, I believe, I think it was the year I graduated from high school, although I could be very wrong about that, but at some point, quite a while ago, we even sent our first spacecraft, and to the present, our only spacecraft, out of our, our solar system. It took many years, but it went outside, past Pluto, past all of our outer planets, and escaped our solar system into what we now call deep space. We've even done that. In the face of all of that, dear friends, we have engaged in utter foolishness as a species. And it's almost time for us to go to a break. But when we return from the break, I'm going to give you, share with you, what I believe is the evidence for that other side of us, that shadow side of us, that is so, so incredibly foolish. All right, I'll see you on the other side of the break when we'll continue our discussion. Thanks, friends. And remember, go to my GoFundMe page, look me up by name, Lauren and Nile, and give whatever you can if you want me to continue on Voice America. All right, have a good break. See you in a couple minutes. 
us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor, appropriately, to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm your host, Lauren Nile. And just before the break, uh, I told you that um, I'm, you know, I have one more show after today to do on Voice America. But if you'd like me to get on back on the air as soon as possible, uh, please go to my GoFundMe page. Go to GoFundMe.com and look me up by name, Lauren and Nile, and contribute whatever you can so that I can uh, stay on the air here with Voice America, this wonderful, wonderful platform, which I so appreciate. In the meantime, though, uh, as I said before the break, you can uh, still uh, catch me on my podcast it's uh, on my YouTube channel. Just, you know, go to YouTube and then, again, search for me by name, Lauren and Nile, and uh, I'll be doing some, some shows on my, on my podcast. All right. So we're talking about the fact that we are brilliant as a species, and I laid out quite a few examples of, of our brilliance as human beings. And so now we're going to talk about our shadow side. That side of us that is just not smart. We uh, are going to be looking at the ways in which we could be doing so much better as people, as human beings, given just how smart we really are. So, the foolishness in which we engage, despite our incredible brain power. Okay. One example is that whatever we can do, we do. We don't have the wisdom to think, now, just because we can do this, should we? Is it in our best interest as a species to actually do this? The Union of Concerned Scientists said several decades ago that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. 
Why is that? Because we very well may lack the emotional uh, maturity to deal with it, whatever the it is, in terms of science, in terms of technology. I mean, you know, back in World War II, Dr. Albert Einstein split the atom for the first time in our history as a species. And look at what we've done with it in the 70 plus years that have passed since then. Look at what we've done with it. Sure, we've used it in all kinds of civilian nuclear technologies and whether we should have done that is questionable because we don't know how to dispose of the waste carefully. And so that's a huge problem for us and for future generations. But leaving our civilian uh, use of, of the atom aside, just, just look at what we've done with it militarily. We have enough nuclear weapons to destroy this planet several times over. In fact, I once heard it said, and I no longer remember the source, um, and I'm not even sure that it's true, but it was startling when I heard it. I, I once heard that we have enough nuclear weapons on this planet to actually blow the Earth out of its orbit. Whew, imagine that. You know, one of the things we don't know is whether there is intelligent life on other planets, although I do think that it's only a matter of time before we uh, discover that there is indeed other intelligence in the universe, that we are not alone. But uh, we don't know that at this point. But we have wondered, scientists have wondered, whether if there is intelligent life in other parts of the universe, whether they routinely destroy themselves within a small amount of time after developing nuclear technology. And, of course, we don't know the answer to that question because we don't know whether intelligent life actually exists outside of the Earth. But I certainly, certainly hope that as a species we avoid that cataclysmic result. I hope. That if that is true, we are in that minority of species, intelligent species, that does not indeed destroy itself within mere decades of developing nuclear technology. Time will tell, of course, whether or not we are. But at the moment, we stand, of course, on a very, very dangerous precipice, nuclear precipice with North Korea. I... Hope and pray that we get through it safely. So what we can do, we do. Whether it's wise for us to do it or not, we, we, we lack the wisdom to consider whether we should and as a result, hold off. Secondly, we still try to solve all of our problems through violence. I mean, look at the wars that have been fought historically around our planet based on differences of, you know, land uh, demarcation and resources, uh, you know, demand for resources, etc. We go to war over this stuff. We go to war. And we still think that war is an acceptable way of settling our conflicts. When will we learn? You know, there, there's a 
couple of common adages that come to mind. War is not the answer. And then also, <laughs> all we are saying is give peace a chance. I know they sound corny, but they are so profound in their truth. Yeah. We use violence as if it is an answer, and of course it is not. We have not heard this more eloquently than we did from Dr. King and from Mohandas Gandhi. We have had their examples of their life and their success in using nonviolence, using nonviolence to face what were intractable, intractable um, uh, enemies, if you will, or not, not enemies, but with situations. Um, with Gandhi, it was achieving Indian independence from the British Empire. And with Dr. King, of course, it was uh, achieving freedom for African Americans in this country and for other people of color as well. They both did it nonviolently. And they both told us so eloquently that nonviolence is the only way to successfully do it because coups will only trigger counter coups. Violence only begets other violence. But apparently as a species, we have not learned that. So we still resort to violence and we still want bigger weapons and better weapons to fight even more brutal, more deadly wars. And whether the wars, I mean, well, since I've been alive, the Korean War has been fought. And this is just from the American perspective. That was when I was a child. I don't even remember the Korean War. I was too young. The war in Vietnam was fought. I remember that well. It was fought while I was in junior high school, high school, and college. We fought the Iran-Iraq War, the Afghanistan War. You know, we're now in a at least a showdown with North Korea. And we've had so many minor little skirmishes in Nicaragua and in other places around the world since then. When I was in college, the uh, Catholics and the Protestants were fighting an incredibly brutal, bloody war in Northern Ireland. The Tamils and the Hindus were at war in or have been at war over the course of my lifetime in Sri Lanka. Mecca going around. Of course, we have that 60-plus-year-old, seemingly intractable war between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And I could go on and on, but time doesn't allow. And I, I think you get the point anyway. We are still, and I don't mean, I don't mean to insult children, but we are still childlike in our pursuit of violence to deal with our conflicts. Third, we have developed and we ingest at an alarming rate entertainment that is violence-based. Entertainment that's violence-based. It's not enough that we have violence in the world. We now entertain ourselves largely through images of violence. You know, people being shot, blowing up buildings, blowing up cars, murder and mayhem. That has become the stuff, the stuff, you know, of movies and television shows. And now, most recently, in uh, computer games. 
you know, we get rewarded for shooting people and having in one little game a, a cross apparently pop up every time we kill another human being in that game. We are, in my view, only going to become more violent as a result of the fact that we are allowing ourselves to be addicted to violence in our entertainment. Of course, in entertainment, we also have a multi-billion dollar international pornography business. That's just thriving around the world. Thriving. Showing disgusting, violent, sexual violence uh, being perpetrated against primarily women and girls. There are people who get off on that stuff. And then want to go out and perform the acts that they see in the pornographic images. That is still a huge problem for us on this planet. Because women are slightly more than 51% of the world's population. And women educate the next generation. Nurture the next, give birth to the next generation for crying out loud. Women take us forward in terms of our march toward becoming more and more civilized in many, many ways. And yet, we treat that 51, 52% of our population as sexual objects in the multi-billion dollar pornography industry that thrives across our planet. Fourth. For the most part, we have a total lack of understanding about our oneness, about the oneness of humanity. We have developed this story, this utter fiction, that there's a hierarchy of human beings and that people who are African and of African descent are closer to the higher primates, to apes, gorillas, uh, chimpanzees, monkeys, and that the farther you get from people of African descent, the more human you become and that people of European descent are the most highly evolved, highly advanced on the planet. We've developed, that started about 600, 650 years ago. It was relatively recent in our history, but nonetheless, it has taken hold across the planet. And so we we have this this racial story that some of us are are, uh, superior to others. Some of us are inferior to to others of us based on characteristics with which we were all born. The color of our skin, the texture of our hair, the shape of our facial features. None of which any of us had any choice in and none of which had anything to do with human intelligence and the humanity of one's being, of one's soul. But yet that's our story. And, and it has taken us, we've taken it on across the world. So our social relationships have reflected that. We've colonized and enslaved human beings based on immutable characteristics of birth. I mean, I, I said once or twice that if we really, really want to get in touch with the utter inhumanity and violence and cruelty of slavery, just get in touch with the fact that looking specifically, I mean, there's been slavery in many parts of the world, but looking specifically at the form of slavery with which most Americans are are familiar, 
the transatlantic slavery of uh, the trans transatlantic uh, enslavement of African human African human beings in the Western Hemisphere. Just consider the reality, the truth, that those millions and millions of African human beings who were captured and enslaved for 250 years in the United States are, if you will, just like other human beings, uh, Asian Americans, Europeans, uh, on the inside. <laughs> and I, it, it shouldn't take that for us to get in touch with how horrible that institution was. But if that's the only way we can do it, I encourage you to do it. Just imagine, well, wow, black people, if you're white or if you're Asian or of, of, of some other ethnicity, if black people are just like us on the inside, oh, my God, we enslaved them? Fifth, number five, income and resources disparity, both within and between nations. Income disparity, extreme income disparity, both within nations, including our own, and between nations, i.e. the difference between the developing world and the developed world. In other words, we still have extreme poverty. Extreme poverty still exists to a large extent on our planet. Some nearly 50 years after we put men on the moon and successfully returned them to the earth. You know, at least a couple of decades after we invented the uh, personal computer. You know, decades after we developed nuclear technology. We still have extreme poverty on our planet. Why is that? It's because we have not put that genius of ours fully to work to deal with those issues, to deal with those horrible realities. Now, I can give you many other examples, my friends, of the ways in which as a species we are foolish. But those are the big five. If we can do it, we do do it without any awareness or any care, perhaps, of its consequences. Number two, we still solve our problems through violence. Number three, we have developed and ingest uh, violence-based entertainment, including pornography. Number four is our lack of understanding about the oneness of humanity and our resulting social relationships, our resulting social history of utter oppression of millions of human beings around the planet. And five, income and resources disparity, both within and between nations. Those are, to my mind, five uh, of the biggest examples of just how foolish we are as a species. <laughs> Utter, utterly immature. But there is good news. There is good news in all of this. And the good news is that even in the face of those five examples of our utter immaturity, our utter foolishness and irresponsibility and senselessness and recklessness, even in the face of all of that, there is much good news, friends. We developed uh, the United Nations you know, in the uh, first part of the 20th century, the first half of the 20th century. The United Nations. Now, is it a perfect body? Absolutely not. Has it made many mistakes over the course of its existence? Absolutely 
Uh, does it have a long way to go in terms of achieving its stated goals? Absolutely, no question. But with its development, it signified the first time as a species that we tried to come together across our beautiful planet to solve problems together in a unified way. And my hope is that the United Nations matures and grows, becomes more wise and more effective as time moves on. But there is at least a structure for an attempt to solve our human problems globally. Uh, Now, we have uh, an entity called Global Citizen. Global Citizen. And with Global Citizen, we have, and it's a huge, huge nonprofit organization that people around the planet participate in. So it has allowed us to, for example, engage in what is known as microfinancing. That is making a huge difference in the developing world. Giving individuals small, small loans. The average loan, I believe, is $50. But with those small loans, families are able to buy, for example, a goat, which gives it milk and and gives it milk that it can then sell. So it has a potential of of raising that family out of extreme poverty. Microfinancing is making a huge difference in many, many places around the world. And we're doing it. We're actually doing it and doing it successfully. By the way, women returned their or pay off their their loan, their microfinance loan, at I believe it's either two or three times the rate as men. So once again, we, you know we see women leading the way to the future. We have organizations such as the Carter Center. I, I love President Carter. I think history will do him well over over time in terms of at least what he tried to do. But he now has and has had for many years since he left office the Carter Center, which is doing amazing work around the world. He's the Carter Center has essentially um, vanquished. I mean, I mean, really gotten rid of a disease called river blindness in uh, some African countries that literally takes the sight from children and adults just based on um, uh, I think it's a worm or some some kind of microbe. Uh, the, the Carter Center has pretty much made that a thing of the past. And we have many other organizations. The Clinton Foundation, which is doing amazing work around the world. I know that the Clinton Foundation has lots of controversies surrounding it in terms of financial issues and other things. But the work that they do in the world with HIV and many other things cannot be minimized. The importance of that work cannot be minimized. We now have computers personal computers going into many developing countries, many of them being solar powered (laughs) so that they're available to even people who don't have electricity. With that, with the availability of personal computers, and of course with the personal computers comes availability of the internet to people across the globe, oh my goodness. That will, in all likelihood, uh, be the birth of a revolution on our planet. I mean, we now have the ability 
to get information anywhere in the world within seconds and to communicate with any person anywhere on the planet within seconds. And so the gap between the developed world and the developing world is going to shrink much, much more rapidly than we ever thought possible. In fact, one of the things that Global Citizen is working on is the eradication of extreme poverty across the world over the next 30 years. Now, that's a huge, huge task, my friends. But who's to say that it isn't possible? When President Kennedy said in 1961, I believe, maybe during his inaugural address, that he wanted us to get Americans, he wanted us Americans to get to the moon within the decade. In 1961, that seemed like an impossibility. But before the end of the decade, on July 20th of 1969, we indeed indeed did just that. We landed human feet on another celestial body for the first time in our history as human beings. So you see, in my view, saying that we will eliminate extreme poverty within 30 years is certainly doable. Certainly doable. I have no doubt. If we put our mind to it. We are brilliant. But we are much smarter than we are wise. And if as a species we're going to survive and indeed thrive in the future, in addition to being smart, my friends, we must also be wise. Thus, in addition to pursuing knowledge and understanding, we must also start valuing, we must also start pursuing, we must also start cultivating wisdom. I'll say much more about that in uh, the last segment of the show, in my last show next week, the We Are Divine segment. So again, if you'd like me to uh, stay on Voice of America, go to my GoFundMe page, go to GoFundMe.com, look me up by name, Lauren and Nile, and contribute whatever you can. In the meantime, look me up on YouTube by name, Lauren and Nile, and listen to my podcast. It has been a pleasure again to speak with you today, my friends, and I look forward to uh, being with you again on my last show, my 13th show, next week. Take care, have a good week, happy holidays, and we'll talk in a while. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. Please join your host, Lauren N. Nile, for another edition of our program next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you right here next week.